You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. So forth. Now humans are actually conspiratorial in their nature because we look for patterns. We like to see a pattern behind things. We like to have a sense that we know what's happening and so we can tend to put patterns on things that sometimes aren't there at all. And of course we know from history that the vast majority of conspiracies don't play out at all into reality. The vast majority of conspiracies actually don't actually have any substance to them in the end. But I want to talk this morning about a Christmas conspiracy. I like conspiracy theories. I'm actually quite entertained by conspiracy theories. I watch all the movies about conspiracy theories. I watched all the movies and the documentaries about who shot John F. Kennedy in Dallas and was it the mafia, was it the CIA, was it his own government, was it the Cubans, was it Mexican drug lords? I've seen them all. I've been royally entertained by all of them. Or was it possibly that guy with the rifle in the book depository, G. Lee Harvey Oswald? I don't know, but I'm actually certainly entertained by the story. I want to look this morning at a guy who was actually very conspiratorial in his mindset. And even though this is a message around Christmas time, I want to look at the guy in the story who is the arch-evil guy, the arch-villain of the story of the coming of Jesus. And I'm going to be looking at it from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. The man I'm speaking about, of course, is Herod. King Herod, or Herod the Great as he would become known, or even at this stage was probably known. Herod the Great was appointed as King of Judea, and named King of the Jews by Augustus Caesar in either the year 39 or 40 BC, depending on how you read the story. He was appointed as King of Judea, came back and built this amazing empire, built amazing fortresses at Marcherus and Masada and the Herodium and in Jerusalem, built temples and so on and so forth. He was just an amazing builder. But he was also an extremely paranoid extremely frightened, extremely capricious, and very volatile man, a very volatile king. He suspected conspiracies left, right, and center, in so much as he actually had two of his sons murdered because he suspected that they were conspiring to take his throne for him. He then went on to have his wife strangled because he suspected that she also was conspiring against him. When you go home today and people say, what was, the, what was the church like today? It was lovely. We talked about Christmas and about how Herod strangled his wife. The, it was a, such a lovely warming message to listen to in, the, in a couple of weeks before Christmas. But that was the kind of guy that you're dealing with. Even on his deathbed, he gave orders for a third son to be murdered, to be executed. Because he really wanted the empire to go to his favorite son, a guy called Archelaus. And all of this plays out during the lifetime of Jesus Christ himself. So that, just to give you an insight, murders effectively three of his sons and his wife because he fears that they are conspiring against him. That's the guy that you're dealing with in this story. And that's the guy that the guys we're talking about in a minute were dealing with. I want to start off by reading Matthew's Gospel Chapter 2 and verse 1. And may God bless us as we read his word today. May it speak to us, feed us, challenge us, build us up, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Are you awake? Okay, try and stay awake. We'd love to serve coffee to help you stay awake, but you have to get a bottle, a can of Monster or something from next door if you want to stay awake. Here we go. This is what Matthew's gospel begins with. I love this verse. Really simple, but says an awful lot. Very simply, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. 
We could talk about this actually on its own right for a couple of hours. Just this verse alone because it says so much about the planning and the purpose of God. Do you think that Jesus was born by accident in Bethlehem and Judea? Do you think he was born at the time when Herod was king by accident? This was all part of God's plan being played out into history. God knew since time in eternity past that this was exactly the time in which Jesus was going to come into the world. God was conspiring to save the world, you and me. He was conspiring to send his son Jesus to rescue us from ourselves and from our sins, to take us from darkness into light. And he made him appear unnoticed by kings and great people and by the religious. He, he brought him into the world secretly, almost conspiratorially, unknown to most people except for a very small handful. And some of that handful we're going to encounter no. Herod was utterly oblivious to the birth of a little Jewish baby boy in this stable in Bethlehem. Utterly oblivious until this happened. About that time, some wise men, or magi, as the original language says, and we'll get to that in a second, from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. If you were Herod and you heard this introduction, you would be shocked at this news. You would be shocked. And there's a couple of reasons why you would be shocked in this story. Here's the first one. The people who brought this news were magi, men from the east. Some, some in, in history say they were kings. They weren't. They were noble men. They were wise men. They were probably people who were both astronomers and astrologers. They watched the stars. They, began, they tried to predict the future and future events through the stars. They would have been very familiar with the Umaru Mudu, which was the, which was the mystical uh, court of the ancient Babylonian kings they would have been from that line of thinking and they believed that the stars spoke of the future almost everyone in ancient history believed that the stars foretold the future and that is why we have so many star signs and we have so many uh, star constellations in the sky they were constantly looking at the stars as portents of events that were coming Herod was no different Herod also had astrologers working in his court telling him what the stars were saying about his future. But when these guys arrived, it was a bit like the experts arrived. One minute they were getting the opinion of some Joe who knew his stars and suddenly in arrived the experts, the serious experts, the magi. And they say, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Hold on. Herod is the king of the Jews. That was his title. That was his name, the name given to him by Augustus Caesar himself. He was the king of the Jews. What do you mean, a newborn king of the Jews? There is no newborn king of the Jews. I'm the king of the Jews. I haven't uh, made anybody pregnant recently. There is no newborn king. So immediately Herod would become very, very suspicious at the news being brought to him by these star-watching professionals. It says we, he said, they said, we saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, what did he, when they say we saw his star, there are lots of different theories about what it was that these magi would have seen. Did they see a specific miraculous sign in the skies, which they called a star? That's possible. Did they see a supernova? Because there was a supernova recorded around that time, around 4 or 5 BC. 
Possibly. Did they see a comet? Well, there was a comet in the sky around 4 and 5 BC as well, but it was recorded in Chinese annals, not in any Western annals. Did they see an alignment of planets, what's known as a planetary conjunction, which did happen around that time in the year 6 BC, a planetary conjunction, which is a conjunction between the planets of Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars. Their orbits cross over and make it appear as though they're almost dancing in the sky, and there's a super, literally a superstar appears in the sky when that's visible. For what it's worth, on December 21st this year, there will be a superstar in the sky as well. They're referring to it as a Christmas star. It's a planetary conjunction of Mars, Saturn, and Jupiter. And when they come together, they are brighter than they have been since the year 1226. So I think that that's worth checking out if the skies are clear on 21st of December. Check that one out. It will be visible low on the horizon just after sunset. You'll see these three planets. You won't be able to see them separate by the naked eye, but through binoculars or a, a, a telescope you will be. Anyway, that's another story. That's my, own, that's my own gig, as they say. But what did they see? We don't know what they saw, but this is what we know was understood by seeing a sign in the stars. Signs in the stars came up when a great king was coming to power or when a great king was falling. Now, if you were a paranoid king like Herod and you heard the news that a star was seen or a sign in the sky was seen, it would mean that a great king was rising, but it would also mean that a great king was falling, especially if your name was Herod the Great. So immediately, Herod becomes paranoid, absolutely paranoid. They've come to worship this king of the Jews. Worshiping him is a very interesting term. It means that they saw that there was a divine import, that they saw that he was of God. But that's just another day's conversation. So Herod was overjoyed, of course, at hearing this news. It says that when Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Everyone who heard this kind of went, what? What, what, these guys have come from the east. They've seen a sign in the stars. They've seen something that has brought them here. And there's a new king born. Whoa, this is going to be interesting. What, if, what happens when Caesar hears about that there's a new king been born? I don't think Caesar's going to be too happy about the whole story either when he hears about it. And so everybody was disturbed at the arrival of this big retinue of people from the east. Camels and gifts and servants and costumes. The whole nine yards. They would have seen it all and would have been very, very surprised by it. Herod hears what they have to say. And I love the next part. It says, Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. Come over here, lads. We'll have, we'll have a quiet word here. Just, just ourselves. We'll have a nice quiet word. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And immediately, Herod begins to conspire about what he's going to do about this new pretender to the throne of the king of the Jews. Immediately, he begins to plan. And the immediate way to plan is to find out where he was supposed to be born and when he was supposed to be born. I've just passed out a couple of the verses where it says that Herod asked the religious in his, he asked the scribes and the, um, the Sadducees that were in his court, and he asked them, when would the Messiah, where would the Messiah be born? And they said, in Bethlehem, in Judea. And so he finds out all this information, finds out the who, the what, the when, and the where, and he's conspiring to knock off Jesus, to kill Jesus, to kill the pretender to the throne. But God is always one step ahead. He sent him to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him too. 
Ah, Herod, he just wants to see the little baby Jesus. And he wants to tickle his belly and say, go, 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 That's all he wants to do. He was such a lovely guy, Herod. And everybody, oh, Herod just wants to go and hug the baby and give him an old blessing and maybe give a couple of bob to Joseph for Mary as well to look after the child. He was such a lovely fellow, was Herod. But thankfully, the Magi didn't entirely fall for this story. So they went and they worshipped. They found Jesus and they worshipped. Meanwhile, Herod is conspiring. He's making his plan. As soon as he knows who the baby is and where the baby is, the baby is finished. He's going to kill the child. And it goes on. When it was time to leave, so for the Magi, when they arrived, they worshipped Jesus and it says, when it was time to leave, it says this, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. God was one step ahead of Herod's conspiracy. God was warning one step ahead all the time in this story. When Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit, Joseph planned to get rid of her, but God was one step ahead and spoke to Joseph in a dream. When Herod was planning to kill Jesus, God was one step ahead and warned Joseph in a dream to, send, to, to uh, go down and to escape into Egypt. In actual fact, Herod in his actions here sets in train prophetic events that were prophesied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. They went back to their own country. They did not go to Herod. And of course, Herod was overjoyed at that. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He was furious. And he was like Bruce Banner, the Hulk. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. When Herod was furious, when he got angry, heads rolled. People paid with their lives when Herod gets angry. He was furious that they were outwitted. Why? Because the natural route back to the lands where the Magi had come from was back to Jerusalem, turn east and head to your own home. But instead they went by a circuitous route and avoided going back to Herod's court because God had warned them because God was working out his plan according to his plan and his purposes. He had outwitted them. But Herod, not happy with that situation, continued to take matters into his own hand. In one of the saddest stories recorded in the New Testament, it says this. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. He sent soldiers, possibly from the Herodium, Tom referenced it last week, five kilometers from, from Bethlehem, probably sent them into the town of Bethlehem to kill all the baby boys. There's a knock on your door. Imagine what it's like. There's a knock on your door in the middle of the night. And you open the door and they say, have you got children? Yes, we do. When were they born? Last year. Okay, get them out here. Kill the boys. That's it. And they were just slaughtered. And you got no say in the matter. You got no word in the matter. This was just what it was like to live in these days, in the times when Jesus was born into. You think these times are hard. Those times were really, really, really hard. They had no choice. And there's a massacre. Now, some people say that, that Herod killed thousands of children. He didn't kill thousands of children. There weren't thousands of children to kill in this area. It's almost certain that he probably killed, based on the population estimates of the area at the time, somewhere between 20 and 30 children. It's quite, quite likely that he killed. In actual fact, it was a massacre so small by Herodian standards that he does, it doesn't even get recorded in the normal history of the area. 
He was so used to massacring people, wiping out entire towns of people that he suspected were conspiring with his enemies, that this little blip doesn't even register. And in the process, in these two situations, in this situation of attacking these people, he sets in train prophetic signs. The, the sign that comes after this is from the prophet Jeremiah, which says, A voice is heard in Ramah. Rachel weeping for her children, but refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It was a prophetic sign of the coming of the Messiah. You see, no matter what Herod conspired to do, no matter what Herod planned, God was always one step ahead of him. And whatever conspiracy there may be out there in the world today, and like I said, most conspiracies don't play out at all. They don't have any substance in them. However, no matter what conspiracy is out there today, you must not be like Herod, because Herod took all the conspiracies very personally. It was a conspiracy de deliberately designed to get him. Whatever about conspiracy, I'll tell you there's a conspiracy against you. The devil has a conspiracy against you. He plans to trip you up and to cause you to stumble and to take your eyes off Jesus. He has plans to frustrate you and get in your way and to pull you down with temptation and, and touch you right away your weaknesses. That's a conspiracy that's going on against you. But we as Christians, God is with us. Would anyone say amen? He's for us, not against us. And whatever conspiracy is being ruled out, God has a different plan at work for us. Here's the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah wrote in, in Isaiah chapter 8, the, the verses we're going to look at in just one second. The context of the verses we're going to look at was this. In the time of Isaiah chapter 8, there were two kings planning to invade the area of Judea or the, the country of Judea, the nation of Judea as it was at the time. There were the kings of Samaria and of Damascus. And they were plotting and planning and conspiring to overthrow Judea. But something else happened. But in the midst of it all, God spoke to Isaiah. And he said, Isaiah, would you please pay attention? This is what he said. The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. He's warned me. Don't be thinking like everyone else thinks. And he goes on to say what it was he's talking about. He says, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. And don't live in dread of what frightens them. Whatever the conspiracies are out there in the culture at the moment, in this strangest of years, in this strangest of times, and I, I'm, I, I quite enjoy a conspiracy myself, but you know something? Whatever conspiracy is out there, don't live in dread of what frightens other people because you are God's people. Would anyone say amen? Because you're God's people. That's why you do, shouldn't be fearing a conspiracy. Whatever conspiracy you think might be out there in the echo chamber of conspiracies, whatever you want, whatever you're thinking, whatever you believe, don't think like everyone else thinks, brothers and sisters. What does, what does Paul say to the Christians in, in Rome? He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your... Which means the way you think. Don't think like everyone else thinks. If you think like everyone else thinks, you'll believe what everybody else believes. You'll act like everybody else acts, he says. But don't be like that. Don't be living in dread of what other people fear. And you know, brothers and sisters, there is so much 
fear out there right now. Such a terrible culture of fear has been bred into people. And in that context grows all sorts of conspiracy theories and all sorts of worries and threats and dangers. But don't be afraid of what frightens them. He goes on to say this. This is really important. He says, make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble, he says. He's saying, don't worry about what they can do to you. That's what he says. Jesus says, don't fear him who can, hang, who can kill the body, but after that can do no more to the soul. But fear him who, having killed the body, can cast the soul into hell. He's talking about God. He says, don't be afraid of what frightens them, but fear God. Do what God wants. Think about what God thinks. Do the things that God wants you to do. He said he's the one that should make you tremble. And the word fear that's used here, the word fear that's used here is, the, is, taken, from the, is taken from the, it's a Hebrew word translated into Greek as the word phobos, from which we get the word phobia, fear. Real fear, not some lovely, quiet, stand-by-the-candle quietness, but genuine concern for your soul and for your life. He's the one. And then he goes on to say this very, very important part. He says, because he is the one who will keep you safe. When you fear God, he will keep you safe. Is there a conspiracy out there in the culture? There might be, but God will keep you safe. Amen? Amen? Is there something to be frightened of out there in the culture? Yes, there is. Maybe there is, I don't know. But you know what? God will keep me safe. Hallelujah, what am I for? Why would I be afraid? Because God is always ahead of the plan. And God is always watching over his people. And always his purposes are brought to pass. My son Robin loves to play chess. And he's a good chess player. He's a very capable, able chess player. And every now and again he says, Dad, will you play chess? Well, actually he says it about five times a week. And I play chess against him and he always beats me. Every single time. He can beat me in like three moves and he has me beaten. Sometimes I'll push him a bit, might get the very odd draw, but most of the time, vast majority of the time, he beats me. Why? Because he's able to think so many steps ahead of me. And whatever steps ahead I'm, he might have for me, the Lord has so many more steps ahead for all of us. Would anyone say amen? amen? You see, there are so many in the Bible, there are so many conspiracies that were contrived against the people of God. They are quite simply failed conspiracy theories, failed conspiracies. When people attempted to do things against God's people, but God was already ahead of their plan, just like he is in your life. Don't be frightened of the enemy, brothers and sisters. Don't be frightened of what he's planning. Be alert, be careful, be cautious, be wise, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If you want to, I have a list here of about 23, 24 in fact, different conspiracies that are in the Bible against God's people and God's plans and all of them failed because God was one, two, three, four, five steps ahead of the plans of the enemy. Joseph's brothers conspired against them in Genesis, but God overturned that plan. Pharaoh conspired against the Hebrews, but that was overturned. Haman conspired against the Hebrews, but that was overturned. Aaron and Miriam conspired against Moses, but that was overturned. Satan himself conspires against Job, and that was overturned. Saul conspires against David, but God's plan comes to pass, and it, it's overturned. Sanballat and Tobiah conspire against Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, but God overturned that plan. The Babylonians planned against Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego and Daniel but God overturned those plans. The religious leaders of the time planned against Isaiah but God overturned 
that plan. They planned against Jeremiah, but God overturned that plan. Herod planned against Jesus, but God overturned that plan. The Pharisees and the scribes plotted against Jesus, but God overturned that plan. They plotted against Lazarus, but God overturned that plan. Judas conspired against Jesus, but God overturned that plan. When Jesus was in the grave, the powers of darkness themselves, as recorded in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, plotted against Jesus. But if the powers of darkness had known that it was the Lord of glory that they were up against, they would never have killed him. Because their, his death was their defeat. The powers of darkness. The, the Jews planned, plotted against Paul to execute him, to, to assassinate him. But all of those plans failed. And all of those, brothers and sisters, are just a list of things that happened before we even get to the book of Revelation. Or we look at all of the conspiracies and plots and plans in 1 Kings and 2 Kings that were frustrated because all the way through history, there is a plan. You know, people may well be planning against you. The enemy may be planning against you. And I don't care how careful or how good his plans are if he's planning against God it will fail it will fail does anybody know who this is nobody knows who this is really I despair this is Mike Tyson does anybody ever heard of Mike Tyson Iron Mike Tyson, the boxer, came to fame in the, in the mid-1980s, World Heavyweight Championship champion at the age of 20. A beast of a man, if there ever was a beast of a man. And he was actually asked one time when he was defending his world title against, I think it was Jerome Green, he was defending his title against him. And he was being interviewed by um, uh, one of the American sports interviewers. And he said, hey Mike, he says, Jerome Green says he's got a plan. He's got a plan for your punches. He's got a plan for your moves. He's got a plan for your strategy. What are you going to do? He's got a plan, he says. And Mike Tyson looked at him and he says, it doesn't matter, he says. And I love what he said. He said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Everybody has a plan. Do you know something? The enemy has a plan for your life. But I tell you this, God's going to punch him in the face. And I mean that, lads. You, there may be a plan against you, but God is going to punch it right in the face. Because when God is on the move, when God is working out something in your life, the devil isn't going to stop it. He isn't going to stop it. That's not going to happen. You might stop it, but the enemy is not going to stop God's plans working out in your life. I love what the, the book of Proverbs says. It says this. It says, there is no wisdom. There is no insight. There is no plan that can succeed against the Lord. No matter how clever somebody is, no matter how conspiratorial is, no matter how well planned they have, no matter how don't the nth degree they have got it set up, it will fail because they cannot succeed against the Lord. There's a conspiracy against you. The enemy wants to stumble you. He wants to trip you up. He wants to frustrate you. He wants to destroy you, calling it what it is. Look at the book of Job if you want to see what the enemy's plan is. He wants to test you and shake you and take you through absolutely everything. But God's plan will persist provided you trust in him. Do you know why? Because there's another conspiracy going on in your life. And you know, whatever about all the theoretical false conspiracies or maybe conspiracies or possible conspiracies about everything from, you know, from vaccines to 5G to who shot John F. Kennedy and did we go to the moon? You can take your pick and have your opinion absolutely go ahead knock yourself out but regardless of all of those conspiracies I'll tell you this there is one real solid dependable conspiracy written in the Bible in Romans chapter 8 and here Paul elucidates it in one of the best chapters in one of the best books of the Bible here's what he says he says we know that God causes 
everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He calls some things. No, he causes everything to work together. There is a conspiracy for your good at work in your life. There is a God-inspired conspiracy at work in your life. And it is to bring about your good. Isn't that amazing? I love that. The idea that whatever it is that I go through, God causes it to work the good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And of course, the primary person in this is the person who loves God and obeys God and serves God and has Jesus as their Lord and Savior and who loves and worships God. That's the person whom God causes everything to work together for the good. So does that mean that your defeats and your disappointments could be worked around for the good? Yes, they can. Does it mean that your depressions and your discouragements can be worked for the good? Yes, they can. Does it mean the battle with your neighbor can be worked for your good? Yes, it does. If there's a boss or a bully or a brother or somebody against you, does that mean God can work that out for your good? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And I love this. There's a great qualification. God causes everything to work together for the good. For the good. And the beauty of this is not, this is not the good as I define the good. But it's the good as he who is good defines the good. You see, I don't know what's good for me. I really don't know what's good for me. I have ideas of what I think is good for me. But God really knows what's good for me. Maybe a defeat would actually do me good. More good than all the victories in the world. Maybe some humility would do me much more good than all the victories in the world. Maybe, maybe there are times when disappointment will do me more good than seeing a hope fulfilled on my time, in my time. But you know what good I want? I don't want my good. I want God's good. And if we have God's good at our heart, if we believe that everything is working together for the good, brothers and sisters, can I say it to you? We will be bulletproof as Christian believers. We can say whatever comes, whatever difficulty. Okay, so I got fired. Well, praise God. God has a better plan for you. Would anyone say amen? Amen. Oh, that girl walked out on me and she left me lonely and she broke my heart. It's okay. God has a better plan for you. God has a better situation for you. God has a better person for you. No, just, just in case, if you're married, no, that, that's the person that you're with. No, just wanted to clarify that just for the record in case anybody. But he's working in regard to God's purpose for them. Hallelujah. So whatever conspiracy theory you might have or believe is against you, whether, like I said, it's a brother or a boss or a bully or whatever it is that's going on in your life, God's good will come to pass so long as you look to him and fear him and trust him and love him. Amen. Not only for you, but for those who belong to you as well. Would anyone say amen? amen. Will you stand with me? We'll get the band up. We're going to sing the song, Joy to the World. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Because God is one step ahead of whatever difficulty or trial or trouble may come your way. God is one step ahead of that situation. Do you believe it? Do you believe and trust that God can actually be there ahead? Four or five moves ahead of you on the chess table. On the chessboard. Will you raise your hands? We're going to pray. Will you bring your life before the Lord? Have you got a difficulty or a situation, a disappointment, a defeat maybe that you're facing? Maybe it's a hope that has been deferred. Maybe something you longed and hoped to be fulfilled has been deferred. I want to pray as we head towards a close today 
that God's purpose and plan would be brought to pass. Lord, I thank you that you cause everything to work together for the good of those that love you and are called according to your purpose. And that is this people here today in the atrium, in the cafe church, in the center and outside there online. It is the Grace Church community who are called according to your purpose and you are going to bring everything together for their good. We declare over our lives in Jesus' name. Lord, we bring our defeats and our disappointments and our depressions and our difficulties, Lord. We bring our relationship problems. Lord, we bring the situations where we're bullied or bothered or where we've got trouble in our lives, Lord, and we just bring them before you and we say, Lord, will you work the good in this thing for my life, Lord? And Lord, help me, I pray. Lord, not to be afraid of what everybody else is afraid of. Would anyone say amen? Help me, Lord, to hear your voice, not to be afraid of what everyone else is afraid of, but to have faith and trust in you, to see your best, to see your good come to pass. Even when I don't know what is good for me, Lord, bring your good to pass for me, Lord. Lord, outwit the enemy in my life. Would anyone say amen? Lord, will you outwit the disasters in my life and the defeats and the disappointments, outwit the conspiracies in our lives. We commit ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' name of God's people said, amen. Let's just, the guys are going to sing the first verse of Joy to the World, and then we're going to ask the atrium guys to go, and then we're going to sing out the rest of it when the guys are going upstairs. Joy to the world. Hallelujah. Joy to the world.